Welcome to Nationwide Market Insights for September 5th, 2023. What remains on Congress's to-do list for the rest of the year? Congress is set to return next week from its traditional summer recess. What all does Congress want to accomplish before the end of the year? How could the 2024 election impact congressional action this year, especially the budget? And with recent national disasters and a potential economic downturn, what support is Congress prepared to provide? This is Brian Kirk, and to provide outlook on governmental actions and policies and the economic impact, we have senior economist Ben Ayers and Carson Lewis, Senior Director of Government Relations at Nationwide. Carson is part of our federal affairs team in Washington, D.C., and works on a variety of policy issues. Carson, thank you for joining us today. I hope you had a great Labor Day weekend. And now that our elected officials are returning to the D.C. offices, where do things stand on Capitol Hill? And what do we have to look forward to for the rest of the year? First, thanks for having me back. Um, it's great to be here. It has certainly been nice for us working in D.C. to have a little break along with members of Congress who, as you mentioned, have been out of D.C. for the month of August, but are set to return. Looking ahead to sort of the second half of the year, Congress has a long to-do list. We got through the first half of the year after a little chaos, right, to get started with the speaker vote, the debt limit fight. That got resolved, but we have a lot more that Congress needs to do and will do before the end of the year. A lot of that will revolve around a set of must-pass bills, which I'll touch on in a second. But I think first and probably most pressing or most top of mind for a lot of lawmakers, right, is this election season, right? We had the first Republican presidential debate the other week. And while the presidential election will get most of the attention, it's important to remember, right, members of Congress are also running for re-election as well. So that's something to keep in the back of your mind as you think about the outlook for the legislative agenda towards the end of the year and going into next year. But on the policy side, there's a number of must-pass bills, quote-unquote, that Congress has to address before the end of the year. They have varying expiration dates. Some are technically expired at the end of September. Some are actually year-end deadlines, and some are a little more ambiguous. But things we traditionally consider as must-pass bills, Congress has to pass a new farm bill. That's a multi-year reauthorization project. The annual national defense reauthorization, the NFIP, the flood insurance program, And Brian, you mentioned a potential disaster supplemental for disasters in Florida and previous ones in California and Hawaii. And then there's also the war in Ukraine and the White House is preparing to ask for more money for that effort. So that's a lot for Congress to do. And that is on top of the biggest to-do list item, which is government funding. That is a hard deadline. Government funding runs out on September 30th. And you mentioned Congress coming back into session So then they get back, there's only 11 or so legislative days before September 30th. And right now there's not a great plan for how Congress will avoid a government shutdown. I think the most likely outcome that people are looking at is a short-term government funding bill. And we call it a continuing resolution here in Washington. This is a, a procedure basically to fund the government at current levels for a short duration of time, potentially as short as a day, a week, a couple months to kind of push out that deadline and let negotiations continue. But as we saw with the debt limit fight earlier this year, there's a lot of concern in DC, particularly on the Republican side around debt and deficit and government funding. 
and there's going to be a real push to rein in some of that. And that sets up the potential for an impasse and a government shutdown. Right now, sort of hard to predict how this will play out. Speaker McCarthy has pulled a sort of rabbit out of a hat a couple times now, this Congress, and sort of avoiding um, catastrophe, again, most recently with the debt limit. But there is a, a real potential for a government shutdown here at the end of September, early October. And even if we do get one of these continuing resolutions that push out the government funding deadline, that could get us to, say, December. And then we could have this fight all over again. So wow. it's a it's a tumultuous time setting up here in Washington and a lot for Congress to get through. That is a lot. In just a few short months, they've got a lot to do there, especially the government funding, which is pretty important. So let's go to Ben now to talk about the economic impact of that. So, Ben, we just heard from Carson talk about the challenges they're going to have with getting government funding done. So what if Congress is unable to prevent another government shutdown? What could be the impact of that, especially with a recession on the horizon? Yeah, thanks, Brian. And and thanks, Carson, for that great rundown of all the big things coming up on the calendar for Congress as we kind of shift over to the to September here. You know, from a big picture perspective, there's one thing we definitely do know is that when the government shuts down, that's not great for the economy. You know, you see obviously all the furloughed federal workers, they're not getting pay, and so that can potentially reduce overall spending and just the amount of income coming into the economy. You know, obviously national parks, maybe mail service are shut down, that disrupts activities there. And while less likely, there, there is potential impact for payments for Social Security and Medicare and some of these key regular payments that people get. So there's a lot of impacts more broadly when things shut down across the federal government and have big economic impacts overall. You, know, you look back at the the last government shutdown we've had, which lasted 35 days, only a partial government shutdown, which is at the end of 2018 and extended into January of 2019. The Congressional Budget Office estimates the overall impact of that was about $11 billion. You know, that's a lot of money and a lot of just unnecessary hurt for the economy at that time. You know, I will say though, when you kind of juxtapose this against the size of the overall economy, it's still not overly impactful. You know, total real GDP in the US is more than $20 trillion. And typically on a typical quarter, we might see GDP grow by 100, 200 billion dollars. So, you know, it's a, it's a hit. And the estimates from the CBO said that the level of real GDP in the fourth quarter of 2018 was reduced by about 0.1 percentage points. Uh, in the first quarter of 2019, it was reduced by about 0.2 percentage points. So there is a measurable impact that could be caused by a, a government shutdown, particularly if it goes on longer and has more widening ranging impacts, as we saw with that the last government shutdown we had, which lasted again almost 35 days. Um, but realistically, it's not going to be able to be strong enough to dip the economy into a recession on its own. Um, but when you look at the broader context of the economy, obviously we are concerned when we go into the fourth quarter and particularly into the first quarter of next year that maybe we're going to be starting to see those recessionary conditions more broadly when you look at consumers, when you look at businesses, and just adding on one more hit when it comes from government spending around a government shutdown would just not be good overall. And I think even bigger picture from that, you know, we've already seen just over the past couple of months, you've seen Fitch downgrade the credit rating for the U.S. kind of referencing that 
these budget discussions have been more rancorous over the past decade and continue to provide some more volatility, some unnecessary volatility to the economy and to overall spending. And just kind of fits in that narrative that, unfortunately, the the rancorous discussions in Washington are having some wider ranging impacts across the economy. Well, Ben, following up with what you just said, then, you know, going back to when the pandemic related lockdowns placed a great strain on the economy, you know, especially the supply chain was impacted from that. Congress responded then by providing U.S. consumers and businesses with financial assistance, including things like stimulus checks or extension of unemployment assistance for those who were, uh, that lost their job during the pandemic. So how did that impact the economy then? And do you think it had the results that Congress hoped it would? Yeah, great question. You know, we, we've seen over the, the past two downturns, when you look at the great financial crisis in, in 2007, 2008, and then obviously the COVID-19 recession that what happened in 2020, a huge fiscal response, you know, especially over COVID, um, where we saw almost $5 trillion pumped in in stimulus payments. That's up to almost 27% of real GDP at the time. That's a huge amount of stimulus. Uh, record levels, you know, kind of hearkening back to, you know, the great, depression and the impact of the overall consumer support provided by the federal government at that point. You know, I would say the overall impact has been positive. You know, you look at back to the great financial crisis, you look at what happened over 2020 and 2021, you know, all those payments, particularly those payments directly to consumers and directly to businesses really help support people around the uncertainty around COVID. You know, many businesses were shut down. That influx of cash really prevented, I think, many businesses from closing and obviously kept money in the pocketbooks of people and kept the economy going over that period. I think when you look back now, you know, hindsight's always 2020. Um, you look back now, and maybe it was a bit too much of a good thing. And there, there, obviously, much of the discussions in the political realm has been how much did the overall amount of stimulus help to support and drive much of the inflation run-up that we've had over the past couple of years. From an economics perspective, I would say I think it did have an impact, and I think it helped to push up overall inflation, but it was just one of several impacts that were going on at the time. Um, but certainly, the reason that we're still dealing with inflation and still having some issues can be tied, at least in part, back to the, the massive amount of stimulus that we've had. And that leads to many of those political discussions that we're going to hear from Carson as far as the response to that and what we might see as a kind of a change in policy going forward as we look out potentially over the next downturn. Yeah, so Ben alluded to it, but it should surprise no one, right, that the economy, like almost any other issue here in D.C., has become a real partisan issue. And this comes through in the polling. But overall, right, the view of the economy is pretty negative. You can think about what whether those views are correct or not. But I think only 30 percent, I think, is in a poll I saw that Americans think the economy is sort of going in a good direction, and that obviously feeds into political perspectives. I think 44% of Democrats say the economy is bad compared to 83% of Republicans. So, you know, overwhelming majority of Republicans, almost 50% of Democrats think um, the economy is bad. And that kind of creates an opportunity for political messaging, right? I mentioned that it is election season. And that's sort of where the focus is. We saw a lot of the policy activity, as Ben alluded to, happen in sort of the last couple of years. Biden is now touting those policy responses as accomplishments. 
I'm referring to them as Bidenomics, right? This is focused on domestic investments, particularly manufacturing and infrastructure in the form of the Inflation Reduction Act, the CHIPS Act, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill. So they're touting that as a positive. Um, Republicans are on the other side taking the inflation story and saying that, you know, particularly the Inflation Reduction Act and the American Rescue Plan really contributed to the inflation problem that's hurting so many Americans. And for that reason, it's it's really unlikely as we head into 2024 that Congress is prepared to sort of take any real significant policy action to address a potential economic downturn. Now, the asterisk there, right, is that if there is a major, you know, COVID-like national emergency level event, of course, I think the dynamics there could change. But as as long as things are kind of in the the more mild set of circumstances, there isn't really that much appetite or policy development happening on a bipartisan basis as far as a um, legislative response. There is still some lingering conversations about extending some tax breaks and uh, the child tax credit, which was part of some of that COVID relief packages and sort of revamping that. But those conversations really haven't advanced to the point where they're ready to become law and um, are probably unlikely at this point to come to fruition toward the end of this year. So on the short to medium term, I don't think there's a lot of appetite to do anything other than sort of political messaging around the economy. Yeah, I I think Carson really brought up a great point here that I think the biggest factor is if we do see a recession, which, you know, currently we at Nationwide are still forecasting a recession heading into 2024, it's really how deep and how severe is it? Um, Because much of the huge stimulus packages that we've seen in U.S. history have surrounded large economic events. Again, Great Depression, Great Financial Crisis, COVID-19, huge economic events, really some of the biggest, deepest recessions that we've seen in U.S. history have also been accompanied by a little bit of support from the fiscal government to help cushion the bottom, not make it not as deep for people and kind of help it from really expanding and being such a big economic event as it could be. And so when we look at this upcoming recession, I think the biggest question is, how big is it going to be? and whether really a fiscal response is really needed. Um, From our estimates, and really when you look more broadly across most of the estimates of what could potentially be coming down the pipe, uh, most people are expecting a mild to moderate downturn. And so, you know, given the political environment where there's probably not much of an appetite to provide more stimulus, that might be okay. It might be okay that we're not going to see any sort of fiscal relief because it might not be necessarily needed if the downturn is not as deep or as severe as it as the prior to have been, certainly, uh, you know, you look back at history. There's actually not been much of a history of active use of fiscal policy. You know, back in 2001, there was the passage of the Economic Growth and Tax Relief Reconciliation Act, but really all that mainly did was lower taxes and try to help support consumers a little bit around the 2001 recession. In fact, if you go back to 1990, when the recession and that period was coming into form, and President George H.W. Bush really actually resisted attempts to use fiscal policy to stimulate the economy, saying it may actually do more harm than good, wanting the economy to really rebound by itself and put things in a more positive state for the years after that. So yet again, I don't think it's a huge deal when we look at the outlook, if if things do play out as we expect, it's more of a mild to moderate downturn that the fiscal government will not come in to the rescue. It just puts a little more onus on the Fed. 
And that's why we focus a lot on the Federal Reserve and what they're going to do. It makes that monetary policy aspect much more important. How long does the Fed keep those rates higher? When do they start to lower rates and how quickly do they start to lower rates? And how much does that stimulate growth as we potentially would see economic recovery coming out of that recession? So it just takes a little bit more of the pressure and puts it on the Fed and takes it away from the federal government. Well, Ben, let's go ahead and wrap it up there. Carson, Ben, thank you both for your outlook on governmental policies and action and their potential economic impact. We're going to continue to monitor the economy in this podcast, especially in the weeks ahead. We'll provide our analysis of the labor report and CPI for August. And we're going to discuss the upcoming FOMC meetings happening later this month and again in November. Hit that subscribe button so you can be notified when each new episode is released. Until next time, for Nationwide Market Insights, this is Brian Kirk. The information provided by Nationwide Economics is general in nature and not intended as investment or economic advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any security or adopt any investment strategy. Additionally, it does not take into account any specific investment objectives, tax, or financial condition, or particular needs of any specific person. The economic and market forecasts reflect our opinion as of the date of this report and are subject to change without notice. These forecasts show a broad range of possible outcomes. Because they are subject to high levels of uncertainty, they will not reflect actual performance. We obtain certain information from sources deemed reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, completeness, or fairness. Nationwide and the Nationwide N and Eagle are service marks of the Nationwide Mutual Insurance Company. Copyright 2023, Nationwide.